Thank you to the worship team. I know we've got, uh, we had a stripped down version of worship this morning. Uh, one of our vocalists is out with laryngitis or something, and her husband plays the guitar as well. And uh, because of the weather, we haven't had as many practices this week with Canceling Wednesday. Uh, so Aaron and Melissa and Scott hung in there with us. Thank you guys. Joe, he could have played the bass today, but he decided just to joy. It's okay. I'm just giving you a hard time, Joe. Still love you. Hey, uh, like I said earlier, Pastor and his wife and their oldest daughter, Autumn, are in India visiting um, Justice uh, Banwell and the Calvary Baptist Foundation uh, in India. Uh, that's, as many of you know, that's where our Christmas offering uh, went to was to support that organization. And they're trying to purchase a school over there, which comes with not just the property, but over a thousand students as well. And so um, they're over there visiting right now and enjoying the time there together um, in 100, uh, or, I'm sorry, in 80 degree weather where it's nice. Wish it was 100. And I've got a bad ring. I don't know if it's me, if it's the pulpit, if it's where I'm standing. Sorry. Does everybody else hear the ring or is it just me? Just me? Just the reflection of this. Okay. So I'll get over it. Um, so several of you have asked before, and um, what exactly is your role, my role? I started at this church in August, and so if you don't know, I'll give you a quick recap before we get into the message this morning. I am basically an assistant pastor. My title is ministries pastor, um, but my main goal that I head up is, is the media, um, the website, the graphics design, banners, all the things, the changes and things that you're going to probably see with logo-wise coming up in this year. Um, that's all stuff that I'm doing as well, and then helping with the videos and, and that kind of thing, trying to bring us forward in the technological age of things. That's kind of my role. And then, of course, some admin stuff with our church and then our school and our daycare. We have Kyla, who's actually over in the building right now with some of the, the little kids in our Kids Start program, the, the five and below, like where my kids are. Um, she heads up our daycare and oversees all of that. And then Melissa, um, she helps uh, Cornwall, she helps assist in our school and heading up all of that, and then I, I kind of help in the church with organizing a lot of, of that with pastor. And so with all those ministries, I kind of oversee um, a lot of those. So if there's problems or issues or, or parents or things that are, I try to alleviate that burden from pastor and step in where I can be of help. And so he can focus on, on preaching the word and studying and, and not to do as much of the um, administrative side, if that makes sense. And then, of course, Aaron as well. Uh, here on staff, he helps with the, the music uh, we both do a lot of the maintenance around the property and, and of course, just wherever we're needed and whatever goes wrong. Um, I was in the attic this morning because of this thing, and it's still not working, so it's okay. Uh, we'll get through it. But uh, that's kind of my role, if you weren't sure. I was in ministry prior to, um, I was in the Army before I came here. Then, of course, I worked here for a few years in the school, and before that, we were in Arkansas and Oklahoma. So uh, altogether, I've had about uh, eight to nine years in ministry outside of the military um, uh, while I was serving in the church there. So that's kind of my role. If that kind of clears things up or people ask you, what does Pastor Cole exactly do? That's my role. Um, anyway, so here we are. We're in week two of our It's High Time series. And this phrase, It's High Time, is taken from the book of Romans. That's our text. If you've uh, got a bulletin this morning, you've got notes provided there, you can follow along. Uh, but this phrase uh, is from the book of Romans where Paul is writing actually to the Roman church prior to his, his arrival even there. Um, he's just uh, telling, and the Roman church was mainly made up of Jews, but it also had uh, some Gentiles in it as well. So it's a, a mixture of, of people there. Um, but he's basically giving them the gospel message in a practical way, a very practical way of what they should believe, how they should behave. And the book of Romans is a good book. But we're going to go to Romans 13, 11. This is our, our text first this morning and for this series for this month, Romans 13, 11. And I want to encourage you, definitely bring your Bible to church if you can, whether it's the old vintage leather edition or if you uh, have your phone or tablet you click on, that's fine too. Uh, I, I use those as much as I do the old-fashioned Bible as well. So bring your Bible. We're in Romans 13, 11. It says this, And that knowing the time, 
that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. This word high time, what is that? What does, that is actually, what does it actually mean? Well, it can be defined as this, past the appropriate time. In other words, we're past the appropriate time for something. As we're starting a new year, I wonder how many of you are past the appropriate time for something in one area of your life or another. Uh, perhaps uh, past the appropriate time for some of these New Year's resolutions. It's the new year every year in our Western culture here in America. Uh, every year it's the big push for New Year's resolutions, whether it's to get in the gym, to eat healthy, uh, to read your Bible, uh, whatever it is that you might be setting a resolution to do, maybe you've already, uh, what are we, eight days in now? Yes, it's, it's January 8th. Maybe you've already slacked on that resolution. But maybe it's, it's, it's still high time, past the appropriate time, to start that resolution. Or maybe you thought about it, but you haven't. And so um, it's kind of funny. There's, uh, everybody knows what satire is, right? There's this Christian satire website on Facebook called Babylonian B. And I get a good kick out of it every time I read it. There was one on there that said this past week, man's Bible super excited to be read for the first week of January. And it had a picture of a Bible sitting in a chair, like being interviewed by somebody. So in my mind, I picture this Bible in this nice comfy couch. And there's an interviewer over here and the Bible is actually sitting there talking, right? So, but this, this satire, the joke of it was that this man's Bible is getting read for the first week. And then he said, hopefully they'll make it past Leviticus this year. So I kind of found the humor in that. If you don't enjoy satire, uh, then there's something wrong with you. I actually enjoy, on Facebook, I enjoy watching the people comment on things that don't know it's satire. Then they're getting, you know, they're yelling in all caps at the person. I can't believe it's a joke, people. Relax, lighten up. So, but it's funny. I get a kick out of it. I enjoy it. Uh, but anyways, that's, we're getting off track. But it's past the appropriate time for something in your life. Are your priorities paralyzing you? Maybe it's past the time to rearrange your priorities. Maybe you know you've got some work habits, uh, some family habits, some occupational, or even uh, just for, for pleasure, for fun. Maybe they're your, uh, just your, your hobbies that you enjoy. But they're getting your habits all out of whack, and you're being paralyzed by that. Your time is being consumed and occupied, and you need to change those habits, and, habits, and it's high time, and you're past that appropriate time in your life. Maybe you're uh, dying for a second chance. You're at that point in your life where you're like, man... I wish I just had a do-over. We, we say those words a lot. I wish I could just go back and do it over. Maybe it's a do-over in your finances. Maybe in 2016 or even past that, in years past, you financially dug yourself in holes and spent money you didn't have or used credit cards you shouldn't have used. Whatever it may be, maybe you say, I want a do-over in that. Maybe it's your marriage, your relationships with your kids, your spouse. Whatever it is, maybe in your, in your, time, it's high t in your life, it's high time for a do-over in that area of your life. Maybe you're desperate for a solution that works. You keep trying things and they don't work and they don't work. You're saying things like, I'm broke, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm distraught. And life is just kind of blah. Hopefully, you don't get to that point where you say, my life's just a joke. And you entertain those thoughts that are, are negative thoughts of, of, of suicidal. And then the other option is this, you become addicted. I'm addicted to, and there's some kind of a substance in your life. Or I wish I could quit the whatever habit it may be, the porn habit, the alcohol habit, the anger habit, the stealing habit, the cheating habit, these negative habits that we develop in our life because we're past the appropriate time for that change in our life. You don't, if 2016 was a disaster, 
If 2016 or even past that, every year you come to this time of year where you're, I'm going to have a better year, I'm going to have a better year, and then two weeks in, the year has already gone to pot, and you say, forget it, and you just throw in the towel, and then you live another year, and you live another year, and you live another year, and you wish you could start over, you could wish you could have another chance. Well, here's the thing, don't live through it, learn from it. Let me say it again, don't live through it, learn from it. If, that was, if last year was bad, we got a whole new year ahead of us. A whole new opportunity. And this year, it's high time for a reset. That's the title of our message this morning. It's Reset. This thought is actually not my thought. It's not an original thought. Some of the thoughts are original. Some are taken from a book and actually a movement called the Reset Movement. We're having our winter camp at the end of the month. And we're going to be teaching um, our middle school and high school students in the school up in McCall. It's fun, fun four days, a lot of games, but a lot of teaching and seriousness around God's word as well. But we're going to be talking about reset and resetting four important areas of our life. And I'm going to kind of recap that today and sum it into one message. Um, but if you're feeling, thinking, saying, doing any of those things that I just mentioned about in your life, you have those negative emotions or, or habits or things you'd like to quit, today is the time for a reset. And I want to give you four very, very, very practical prayers, and I call them prayers because that's exactly what it is, four prayers that you can pray this morning um, concerning a reset in your life. Before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together here, and um, I pray that as we are gathered here for these few moments that we have, that your words would be spoken and not mine, the Holy Spirit would move and not me, and I would say things that I should and, and not say things I shouldn't. And God, I pray that you would just uh, uh, bless this hour, be with those who couldn't make it today because of weather or whatever may be going on in their lives, and uh, it's your name we ask these things. Amen. In your notes, I've given you the definition of the word reset. Very simple word, most of us know it, but it means to set again or anew, to move something back to an original place or position, to reset it. So when I was a kid, you guys probably know what these are, I was the generation of Nintendo. Actually, Atari was before Nintendo, but I was somewhat past that age. I was blessed, so I said I was blessed. My grandparents, this is my, this is my great heritage, my grandparents were managers of the Motel 6, and they will leave the light on for you, right? So I inherited all of my video game consoles from the Motel 6. Because there was this policy, if somebody left something in a room, it would go to their, they had this huge empty room at the, at the hotel, and it was just full of people's crap. I mean, literally, it's all it was. It was just full of it. And uh, can I say that in church? Sorry. <clears throat> it was full of it. And so every, after 30 days, if it had been 30 days and somebody hadn't claimed it, my grandpa would get rid of it or give it away to somebody or, or, or whatever. So anytime there was something good, he'd give it to me. So I, I started out with an Atari. I mean, I had a brown paper sack full of Atari games. Pitfall, you name it. They were all in there. The one with the little ball that, or the, the bar, and then there's the ball. And Pong, yes, Galaxy, Galaga, all of those. Had them all. And I'd, I'd play them, right? My parents were too poor. They couldn't. My dad's a mechanic, still is. Been doing it for years. Um, he makes better money now than then. So they couldn't afford to buy me video games and, and that kind of thing. So I had one of those. Well, I remember the day that I got to retire my Atari, and I brought home one of these bad boys. It was a good day. Nintendo. I think Super Nintendo might have already been out at that time, but it's okay. Everybody remembers the, the, the great thing about Nintendo is if the game didn't work, I mean, you could, you could beat on this thing for a few times, but if it didn't work, you could beat on the game. The old trick to just take it, what is it? There it is. Yeah, you guys played video games. That's what I'm talking about. So it wouldn't work. You just start blowing in it like crazy, and then you, you jam it in. And then hopefully by then, if that didn't work, and you pushed it down, if that didn't work, you could try the old 
reset button. I was in my office this week, and the teachers were here for the one day that they came to work before we canceled school because of all the craziness. And Rick Schwegman, who teaches, he's also on the worship team, he walked by my office because I had the TV in there, and I had this thing hooked up. <laughs> he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm playing, man. What's it look like I'm doing? Uh, but I was taken back to my childhood because I remembered, and I actually had to use the reset button because this thing, this isn't mine. I wish it was mine. It's Scott Watanabe's. He lent it to me. He was a, it's a vintage. He's a vintage collector. There was even a GameCube in there, but I didn't hook that one up. Maybe, maybe next week, this week. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now you guys, what is Pastor Cole's role? Well, he plays Nintendo in his office all day. <laughs> right? <laughs> but the reset button... And the Nintendo, uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How to market Nintendo. I'm kidding, not really. But Nintendo played a big part of my life, and that reset button was, it was actually vital. Because when you wanted to play and you got stuck and it wouldn't go any further and it froze up, you could try all the tricks. You could beat it. You could blow it. But if you push the reset button, most of the time, it went back to its original purpose, and it started. This morning, no matter what your background is in life, whether you were religious or not, whether you grew up in Catholic or Mormon, uh, atheist, whatever your home background life is, we all have one thing in common. There's, there's, this, there's this desire, there's this longing, there's this lack of contentment for something more, for peace. When I spoke back in, in uh, August when I first got here, I talked about that. We asked that one question, do we have what it takes? Well, it kind of goes along with this. We want more. There's that gap, that hole. We feel like we're lacking something. We need something. We need peace. We need contentment. There's got to be more to life than just eat, sleep, work, play, eat, sleep, work, play, and repeat the process over and over. And so because we all have that one thing in common, we spend most of our lives working tirelessly very hard to fill that hole. And how that looks is different for each one of us. Some of us, we might, we might go down the road of accomplishments, of career success, uh, followed by praise, recognition, reward, money. Others, we go after fame or fortune or a position or, or, or some it's stuff. If I can buy this car or that house or get this new thing or that new thing and keep up with the Joneses, Joneses kind, of, kind of mentality, we approach it from that angle. Uh, nice clothes, whatever it may be. Others, unfortunately, take the lesser path and maybe they pursue a life of addiction, a life of alcohol, a life of... Of, of drugs or whatever path they may choose because they're trying to fill a hole. They, don't, they lack that contentment, that peace. But no matter what it is that we choose to pursue, no matter what we chase after, and we will chase after any and everything, we've, I've done it myself, we're looking for something that's going to make us feel good, that's going to make us feel whole, going to make us feel complete, going to fill that void that we have in our life, and we're searching for it, something that's going to give us that peace. But here's what's awesome. And here's the thing, that longing, that craving, that desire for more, it's not bad. It's actually a good thing. God actually gave it to us. And it's from God, but, but he's a gentleman. He, he doesn't force himself in. He doesn't beat us down. He doesn't make us choose him. But that desire is so that we will choose him. Romans 3.20 says this, and I'm sure you've heard it or seen the, the famous paintings of it, of a, of a man standing at a door. But it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. But until we surrender to Jesus Christ, nothing, and I mean nothing that we do on our own or of ourselves will give us that peace. Nothing. 
We were created with that longing so that we can choose Jesus. We don't have to choose him. He didn't force it. Aren't you glad? Wouldn't that be terrible if God, the creator of the universe, created us all and said, guess what? You're all Christ followers. We think that would be awesome, but we actually get to choose. We get that free will. Pastors in India right now, we know that one of the things they have in India is arranged marriages, right? The Hindu, the Muslim faith, there's a lot of arranged marriages, the caste system there. Um, that's kind of why the arrangements uh, were originally intended so that in, in the different caste systems, they could stay within those levels of, of where they were at. Um, but how terrible would that be to be in an arranged marriage, right? We're Western culture here, right? We, like, I would hate if my dad said, hey, I'm picking your wife. I got to pick my own wife. It worked out pretty good. But if we were forced into doing things that we don't, li- that we don't like, when we are forced into doing things we don't like or with people we don't necessarily get along with, it makes things awkward. But God's not that way. He says, hey, I want you to choose me. Our first prayer this morning is this. And it's, and it's in your notes here. Jesus, reset my heart. Now, before we go any further, uh, if you don't have this one issue resolved, this one issue of the heart of faith, uh, the other three parts of this message, they're not going to do you any good. Because if you don't fix this issue, you can keep trying and keep trying to fix the other three issues, but it's not going to do you any good. You have to start at the foundation of the heart and in your faith. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at a very familiar passage, verse 8 through 10. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing we do, nothing we say gives us that salvation. It's a gift from God. It's grace. Because if, if, if not, the Bible says here we'd boast, we'd brag about it. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, the message of the heart isn't about the the heart reset. It's not about fixing yourself. It's not about getting it together. It's not about making it right so you can be good enough for a holy God. It's about allowing a holy God to completely take over you so that his togetherness, his righteousness can flow through you and make you complete. Scripture says that right living always begins in the heart. Always. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In Matthew in the New Testament, uh, chapter 6, verse 21, it says, For your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your, your heart be also. Matthew 12.35, just a few chapters over, says, A good man... Out of the good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasures of the heart, bringeth forth evil things. When a heart changes for God, then a life changes for good. So we begin with the heart, with faith, with allowing Jesus to reset us from the inside out. Because until we stop putting our hope in what we need to do, what you need to do, what I need to do, and turn our hope to Jesus and what he's already done, then nothing is going to change. Sometimes we just need a reset. We just got to push the button and say, Jesus, reset my heart. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. If you don't don't start with the heart, nothing else is going to matter. We're going to move quickly to the second point here. Jesus, reset my mind. 
Once our heart has been reset in Jesus Christ, you, you accept the gift that he's done. You realize that there's nothing you can do of yourself. Everything is of him. Eternal life and salvation, that's all through Jesus Christ. Once you've accepted that and you've asked Christ to reset your heart, the first place transformation shows up is in your mind, in your thought patterns, uh, in the way that we, in the things that we entertain. And the things that we entertain have so much power in our lives. And this is huge for me personally. If I'm being, if I'm being honest and, and raw before you, church, these next two points, this one and the next one, they're some of my biggest battles. Even here in a church, a young church that's growing, uh, I hope, my desire is that it grows, that it doesn't grow stagnant, that we continue to, to strive to reach people for Jesus and not just grow in numbers or in style, but we grow in purpose and in mission. A lot of times my mind will say, oh, you can't do it. You're not the guy. These people don't care. You don't care. That's the battles. That, and I have to stop those thoughts dead in their tracks. And I have to say, Jesus, please reset my mind so I don't go there. <clears throat> not being overwhelmed by doubt. Not being overwhelmed by fear, by worry. And I'm, I've heard these phrases before. I'm sure you've heard them too. Um, what You are what you think about. What you think about, you bring about. I'm not a huge Norman Vincent Peel, the power of positive thinking kind of guy. I think there's some good stuff to it, but there's also, it can be taken out of whack. Uh, but your thoughts hold a lot of power. They hold a lot of control in your life. Uh, it's no wonder that many of us are depressed, that we're demoralized, defeated, distraught. And we keep, I mean, just look at the thoughts we entertain. Negative thoughts, stressful thoughts, thoughts of, of worry, impure thoughts, fearful thoughts, thoughts of impending doom. This ice storm, right? I, I don't make light of it. If you were at the grocery store yesterday and you got water or you got supplies, there's a fine line between crazy and being prepared, right? But people go nuts. I didn't get out a, a whole lot. I was out some, not at the grocery store, but I was looking on Facebook and then on the news. I mean, the shelves are empty. People are raiding. It's like, we live in America, folks. I could not go to the grocery store right now and probably live for quite a while just inside my house. I got, even if the power went off, I've got water, I've got blankets, I, I'll be okay. But people go crazy. Why? Because their thoughts. They hear one thing. I was at Target, and the gal said, are you ready for the power outage? I said, what power outage? <laughs> the, the power's on right now. That's wood. That's not. Knock on wood. But people get, they get, they get hyped up. They get excited. And then their thoughts just take control. And, and if we're not careful, that gets us in trouble. To complicate things worse, here's the thing. I mean, how many, how many of your thoughts on a given day are hurting you versus helping you? For me, this is a big one. Because if I'm not careful, my thoughts can hurt my day. It can hurt my mood, my attitude, the way I interact with my wife, with my coworkers, with the way I interact with, with, with my children, with everything that's going on. Even the guy at the gas station or, or the gal at the gym or, or wherever, however it may be, my thoughts can really control what I do and what I say. And this is the thing, to complicate things, you can't just fix your thinking. It's not just an easy, sometimes we think it is, oh, just change your thinking. Somebody will say that, just change your thinking. I wish it was that easy. Sure, you can conjure up feelings for happy thoughts, you know, for a moment, and sometimes maybe even an hour or a day, and if we're lucky, a day or two or, or even a week. But eventually, according to Scripture, the, the truth of Scripture is like we've, we've read about, what really is what's going on in our heart is going to flood our mind, and it's going to come out of our mouth. So even if we change things, if our heart is not, so it goes back to the issue of the heart. When our heart's corrupt, our thoughts are corrupt. They're jaded. They're sarcastic. They're ungrateful. They're unhelpful. And again, you see where we're, we're back to the heart. So if we don't reset our heart, we're not going to reset our mind. 
When our heart is reset, the mind can be reset. We're not hopeless. We're hopeful. We're hopeful in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. See, some of you think I'm a hymn hater. I know lots of hymns. I probably know more hymns than most of y'all, but that's actually a bad thing. That means I just grew up religious. It's funny, we were at, uh, we were at a conference. Uh, this, I'm totally squirrel. I'm getting off my message here. We were at a conference in October, and Brian Houston, Houston who's the lead pastor of Hillsong, um, the big movement that started in Australia, um, he was talking, and he was talking about music and new things, and he even, he, he was talking about that, the song that's called Oceans. Most of us would say, oh, that's a new song. Um, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Anybody heard that? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's on the radio, right? So, he's like, we don't even sing that song anymore. He's got his Australian accent. He's like, that's old. We're singing the new. And he was talking about that, and, and what a mighty God we serve. That, that was one of theirs. Like, there's so many songs that Hillsong has touched and done. And there was something powerful that he said because, and I kind of disagreed with him on, on part of it, but he was talking about how there's nothing wrong with the new, but there's also nothing wrong with the old. Now, for the Hillsong movement, they don't necessarily sing as much as the old because they keep producing and writing wonderful songs that come out of there. But this is the thing, and I'll ch- this is squirrel, not even notes. I'll challenge you, church. When it comes to singing and when it comes to corporate worship or private worship, if, if the words are not challenging you spiritually, it's time to find a new song. You can sing Amazing Grace a hundred times, but if that Amazing Grace isn't amazing in your heart, you need to find something that's going to speak to you. That's the great thing about the power of music. I love the old, I love the new, but it goes back to the heart and it goes back to, to the issues of are you allowing the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, to speak to you? Or are you just being religious? We can come to church and sing even the newest songs, but if you're just being religious and sing the newest songs and you think that's late and great and cool, that's just as wrong as the attitude of, well, I just want to sing the old songs. We can sing both. We do a great job. Aaron does a great job of mixing it up and singing old ones, new ones, southern ones. Um, sometimes, if, if you could hear me down here, sometimes I'll throw a twang in my voice when I'm singing. Uh, I'm a nerd, I know, but it is what it is. Anyways, <laughs> getting back on track. Romans 12.2 says this. Romans 12.2, familiar verse as well. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, sometimes, church, we're going to have to pick it up and push that reset button. Every morning, when it comes to the mind, you're going to have to hit reset. Sometimes, more than once a day. Sometimes twice a day. Three times a day. Sometimes every hour. Every time that negative thought comes in, just, bah, hit that button. Because if you don't take care of every negative thought that creeps into your life, it's going to just ruin you. And your mind is going to control you and take you down negative paths and roads that you don't want to be on. Jesus reset my mind because Jesus, say with me church, changes everything. You guys are asleep. Let's try it again. Jesus changes everything. There we go. Number three, Jesus reset my voice. When our thoughts get transformed, as Paul just said, our words get an extreme makeover too. Our voice, our words, they hold power, right? And what we say has the power to birth life or to quicken death in the people that we say it to. 
Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Turn to James with me in the, Old, in the New Testament, I'm sorry. Hebrews, the book of James. I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture here. James chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So the Bible is comparing the tongue to a bit that's put in a horse's mouth to control him. A horse is a big thing. If you've ever ridden a horse, and I know in Caldwell, Idaho, there's people that have some horses. That little tiny thing that's in his mouth can move him wherever he wants to go. The helm of a ship is very small, but it can move a huge boat in treacherous waters. And so the Bible compares the tongue to that. Uh, verse 6 says this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. In other words, immoral, gross, unfair behavior. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. I'm in verse 6 here. And it setteth on fire the course of nature, and it set on fire of hell. Verse 7 says, For every kind of beast and bird and of serpents and the things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. So you can tame an animal, but then it goes on to say in verse 9 or verse 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It's unruly evil, full of deadly poison. How many of our tongues have been guilty of spewing out deadly poison? Verse 9 says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So we're cursing in one time, then we're praising in the other time. Ever been that guy? You're on the phone, kids are in the background, they're making a ruckus or yelling, and all of a sudden you lose your cool. If you kids don't shut up, I'm going to... And you're on hold, and I'll say, uh, yes, uh, good evening, my name is Pastor Cole. I'm with Centennial Baptist Church. I was just calling to see if you'd be interested in, in walking in the walk for life so we can raise awareness for human life. Yeah, I've been there. You've been there. Same mouth, blessings and cursings. Well, probably happened many times on this morning in the car, right? Fussing at your spouse or your kids. You open that door. Hey, pastor. How you doing? God's good, amen, all the time. You know, your kids are just thinking. Pastor, he just cussed at me. <laughs> you hope they don't say that, right? <laughs> Slander, gossip, negative words. How different would our world start to look if we spoke life instead of death? Huh? The next time somebody cuts you off, or honks at you, eh, eh, instead of waving at him with all your fingers. <laughs> instead of saying or thinking negative thoughts, that stupid idiot, I hope he gets a ticket. Or even worse in this weather, I hope that guy slides off and gets stuck. <laughs> right? 
You thought it. I thought it. Well, how about instead of that, we think, man, wherever that guy's going, I sure hope he gets there safe. Or even better, and on a serious note here, how about we actually say a quick prayer? We say, God, I don't know what's going on in that guy's life today, but clearly he's having a rough day. Be with him. Give him strength, encouragement, wisdom, whatever's going on in his or her life. Uh, you know God. Help him out. Right there in your car. It's not going to be anything special. You don't even got to close your eyes. Matter of fact, I'd recommend you don't close your eyes. <laughs> right? It's funny. We were, uh, was it Thursday or Friday? We were out, and we were pulling out where Costco is. We were pulling out, and there was a car in front of us. It was, it was busy. There was a car in front of us, and we were the next car to go, and the car was waiting to turn, and there was a car behind us. And this was an old guy. Uh, had a handicap sticker hanging on the mirror. Uh, had an old veteran's hat sign on, you know, hat on. And he started just lighting it to the horn. <laughs> And my wife was like, what is he honking at? I said, apparently he's got somewhere to be. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, there's nothing I could do. The car in front of me wasn't moving. But he was in his mirror. You could see him. He was just talking to himself. And it was great, you know. But how about next time, instead of having those bad negative thoughts or words come out of our mouth, that we do something different? Or maybe the next time you catch yourself complaining, I wish I, you stop yourself mid-sentence and you don't even finish it. And you think of something that you can be grateful for thankful for, an attitude of gratitude. Wives, how about this? The next time you're, you're, you're calling your husband, he's about to be home from work, hey, babe, can you stop by the store and grab a, whatever you ask him to grab? And Yeah, babe, I'll do it. I'll sure, sure, sure. And he forgets. He goes to work. He's finishing up his work and he comes home, walks in the door. Hey, babe, did you get that butter? Oh. Instead of letting into him, letting him have it, I can't believe you. You know, start nagging. How about you just say, that's all right, babe. I'd forget my head, too, if it wasn't screwed on. Let him off the hook. Give him a pass. Right? You, guys, you ladies aren't buying into this. Fine, I'll, I'll do you one. Husbands, here we go. I'm not going to leave you out. Husbands, here we go. Instead of the next time you're griping at your wife because you've worked hard all day, right? You've slaved over that plow tractor, the books, the computer, whatever your profession is, the, the wrench, Whatever it is that you do, retired maybe, on the couch. <laughs> There's a lot of y'all here today, right? But instead of griping because she doesn't have dinner ready, how about instead you offer to help? There we go. There, now the ladies are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give him a pass. I don't think so. Yeah, you can get your butt off the couch and help me make dinner, right? <laughs> I don't think I can say butt in church either, can I? Oh, people. Hey, we're having a good time, snow or no snow, right? <laughs> Speak life, right? Be thankful. James 3, it's funny, James ends the book here. He's closing out the chapter. Um, or Well, chapter 3, there's another, another chapter, but he's talking about wisdom, and there's wisdom in how we use our words. Look at verse 17 and 18 of James 3. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, easy to be entreated. Other versions say, willing to yield to others. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Are your words pure? Are they peaceable? Are they gentle? Are they full of mercy? Do they yield to others? Or are they speaking doom, speaking perilous things to others? 
Jesus, reset my voice. Push that reset button. Because Jesus changes everything, right? Lastly here as we close up, number four, Jesus, reset my hands. When your hands get reset by Jesus, you develop an appetite for accepting, forgiving, loving, enjoying, serving, helping, persevering with the people that Jesus Christ died for. He didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for me. He died for everyone, even those who don't think, look, talk like us. Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve, there's that word, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Serve one another. Treat your neighbor as yourself. Mark chapter 2 Mark chapter 2, the first part of this, of this passage, we'll read verses 1 through 5. It's the story of, of the paralyzed man who the men took to Jesus, and, and they let him down on, uh, through the roof. It says, uh, verse 1, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was no, uh, noticed that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive him. No, not so much as a, about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Now, now I could stop right there. There's a whole problem with this story. Because if you go to verse 3, it says, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was bore of four. So picture this. These men are taking four men in to see Jesus. They heard that Jesus is there, and everybody else is there, and this room is full. The door's full. They can't even get through. But here's the part, and this isn't even really what the part I'm focusing on. I don't know if these people were religious or if they weren't religious or that they were there just to get the message as well. But they were so focused on Jesus and on church and on their method, whatever it may be, if you, if you were to westernize it to our culture today, that they didn't even see the guy that was paralyzed being carried in. Imagine that this church was full every Sunday. I mean, just packed out, right? But somebody came in and they wanted to get in. But we were so focused on us internally that we didn't even see him. Like, oh, they can go around. That's kind of what happened here. A bunch of people, assuming they're religious, the, the paralyzed man couldn't even get in because there were too many people crowding the door. But that's not what we're focusing on, just something to think about. Verse 4 says, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the, uh, for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. So they found the roof, and when, he was, when they had broken it up, they let him down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto them, the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Bible doesn't give us much details about this, but we know this guy's got four friends. They're carrying him. They get to the house. It's crowded. They can't get in the doors even, so they go to the roof. Keep in mind, there wasn't a sunroof. There wasn't a hole. It says they broke up the roof. They broke up the roof. They had to make a hole to let the guy in. Then they lowered him down. <clears throat> so they're using their hands. Think about if it was you or me. I know if it was me and I got to the house, I probably would probably stop at that point, right? Like, well, we gave it a good try. We gave it our best. We gave it a shot. We tried to help. We knew this guy could help him, uh, but uh, there's nothing else we can do. Sorry, bud. Maybe next time. And I would have left, right? Because I don't know that I'm that dedicated or that desperate or that committed to serving like the example of these men here. Because here's the thing. Look at verse 5. It says, it doesn't say when Jesus saw the man with the palsy's faith. It says when he saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy son's sins be forgiven. 
His friends are the ones who served. His friends are the ones who brought him to Jesus. And that's the point here. God wants to use you. He wants to use the work of, of your hands to bring people to him. That's what life's about. That's why we exist. We exist so that once we feel that heart reset, once we push that reset button and we commit our life to Jesus Christ, that we realize that there's more to it. We've changed our mind. we change our thinking. We change our words. At this point, God calls us to action with our hands. And if, if we don't draw people to him, if our, our words clearly will or will not draw people to him, People can't see our thoughts, but we, our words, they're going to do it. But they want people, and I said this before, people are tired of hearing about the love of Jesus. They want to see it. And how do they see it? We put our hands to work. You were created to serve God. Saved people serve people. Plain and simple. In days to come, you're going to hear a whole lot more about this serve. February, if you've already seen the posters, the title of our series is Serve Church. We're hoping this is a big month for us, church. We're hoping this is a month that people just hop on board and get it and realize, hey, this, this is a big thing that we're doing. It's not about numbers, but it's just about growing. It's about reaching. It's about changing our homes. It's about changing our community, and it's about changing the world for Christ. And here's the thing. If you, God's given each one of you a unique gift. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're gifted somehow. You can do something that I can't. Uh, maybe it's uh, play an instrument. Maybe you love to work with kids. Maybe you're graphically talented, and you could create videos or graphics or, or things as well. Maybe you have an audio or visual ear or an eye. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you love to greet people, talk to people, make people feel comfortable. Whatever it is, there is a need and there's a purpose and there's a place for you here to be served or to serve, not to be served. And here's the thing. Don't look for an excuse not to do it. Don't sit on your hands. Find some way, somewhere to get plugged in. And here's the other thing, and this is the kicker. And I don't want to upset. It's a disclaimer. But don't get offended if your gift or ideal or thought gets shot down. There are a lot of people who have a lot of ideas and a lot of things that they wish this church could or would do, and, and I wish we could, but we can't. It's kind of the mentality of a jack-of-all-trades, master of nuns. If we did everything, fundraiser, program, event, uh, you name it, that people thought was a good idea, uh, we'd, we'd be terrible at it. So we're kind of simplifying it. We're going to find one thing and do it well, and that's the way it works. And what is that one thing? It's serving God. By serving others, because that makes a difference in their lives. And then you know what it's going to do in return? It's going to make a difference in your life. We're going to help people walk to Jesus, walk with Jesus, and walk like Jesus. And how did Jesus serve? How did Jesus walk? Well, he served. He was the greatest servant of all. As we close here today, uh, I want to close with this thought. You know, we've, we've said all along, Jesus reset my, and lastly, it was, it was our hand. Jesus reset my hands. Because Jesus changes everything. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and I don't want to assume everyone is, maybe you've done church your whole life. You, you've been religious. You came to church, mom and dad drug you every Sunday and it's stuck. I and mean, you come, snow or no snow, you're showing up. But just because you're here, I, I, I can't assume that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And maybe you want to reset in your life. Maybe life right now is really crummy and, and you just want things to go differently. I'm not promising you that if you turn your life to Jesus, you're going to be overnight miracle full of, of money and riches and good health. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But maybe you need to push that reset button and say, God, reset my heart because right now you're not the Lord of my life and I need to make you the Lord of my life. Or maybe you've done that. Maybe you've reset your heart but you've begun to stray. Your mind is not being renewed every day. Your mind 
is telling you that you are worthless, that, that life is just going crummy and you can't control it, and you just keep going down a path of negativity and your, your thoughts are negative, which makes your words negative and your heart, and it's corrupt, and life is just not well. Well, maybe it's time to say, I need to reset that, that part of my life. And maybe it's your hands. Maybe you say, hey, man, my thoughts are decent. I know Jesus is my Savior. I try to be positive and stay upbeat. But you're just not plugged in. You just check the religious block. You show up and then you, you, and you show out. You're gone. Don't do that. Church, there are so many people here. We could do so much for this community, for Caldwell, if we just got plugged in. And we're going to do, I can promise you this, church, we're going to try to do our best to help you as believers in Jesus Christ to serve. We're not perfect. We don't get it right. Sometimes we make bad choices. But if we can help you to serve and provide you opportunities here in the church, also in the community, I think God will do amazing things. Because when you start to look at others and not yourself, your life begins to get a whole lot better. Life begins to be a lot sweeter. Jesus, reset my heart. Do you need to say that prayer today? Jesus, reset my mind, my voice, my hands. It's only when we surrender control to the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one that promises us to sustain us, that we'll find life that is truly life. We'll find peace that our hearts are longing for. Do you need a reset today? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father.